Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. There's no way in the world he would have got through that rubbish. If you had seen it, you wouldn't know what I mean. You can imagine falling all these trees and putting them in, into one big lot here. There's no way in the world anything could get through them. There's no way in the world he could have got through that rubbish. That's why I wonder whether he's been picked up, he's been taken. This is Joe Reynolds. We're at the Matarawa Creek, not far from the Tokoro house she used to live in when her son Jeffrey went missing. When Jeffrey disappeared, Keith Holyoke was the Prime Minister. Lyndon B. Johnson was the President of the United States. The Vietnam War was at its height, and mankind was still preparing to land on the moon. It was 1968. Jeffrey Hill would be 52 years old today, but the last time Joe saw him, he was merely a toddler. The two-year-old boy had been playing across the street with a neighbor on September 28, 1968. Somehow, he ended up near the water. The police believed Jeffrey fell in. The family aren't so sure. If he was in here, except for going under a tomo or whatever Dad called it, he would have been found. He should have been found. As you can see, how big it is. It's not, it's not the Waikato River. It's small. The creek is about three metres wide, a metre and a half deep, and has large trees on both sides of the bank. What happened to Jeffrey? Did he fall in the creek? Did he wander off? Or was he taken? I'm Paloma Migoni, and this is the fourth episode of The Lost, a podcast that looks into some of the country's missing persons cases and talks to the families about the void left behind. She looked in, was okay, that's good. Joe Reynolds still lives in Tokoroa. She sold the family house after her husband Jeff died 13 years ago. But she's still close. The Matarawa Creek, not too far away. Her living room is decorated with pictures of dogs. She loves animals. You can't miss Jeffrey, though. You're greeted by a large picture of him when you walk in the room, hanging on top of the dining table. He's wearing a light blue jersey his grandmother knitted for him. It was taken during a family shoot. He's smiling in it, giving a full display of his little baby teeth, his hair beautifully groomed. Joe says Jeffrey was a mummy's boy, the youngest of two brothers. Named after his father, Jeffrey wasn't your normal two-year-old. If he sat up at the table, he'd just sit there very quietly, and if he dropped a bit of crumbs or something on the floor, like children do, he'd go straight out and get the brush and shovel and come and clean it up without me telling him. He'd just go and do it. And if he um, changed his clothes at night time, you know, like took his clothes up after he had a bath, or as soon as he got his pyjamas on, he'd take his dirty clothes straight out, put them in the wash basket. 
And I never taught him that. He was. We're talking a two two year old. When he was two, he started doing that. Two years, ten months when he went missing. But he was always with me. He always with his father too, of course, but mainly with me. He even had love for the animals at that age too, like we all have in our family. Who was the cats at that time? Timmy was the cat at that time. And as soon as Timmy would come in, he'd rush over and put his arms around and pick him up. Then he'd bring him over to me and he'd say, Timmy want cuddle. So I'd have to give Timmy a cuddle. You know, just little things like that that I can remember about him. Jill still has Geoffrey's teddy bear. It's in good condition despite the years. It used to belong to her older son, Robert, who lives in Australia now. She would often see it bouncing about behind him as he dragged it around the house with a string. He couldn't sleep without it. I don't think there's much in here. I don't think there is one of Geoffrey. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing at some of these. Mum's right, it's full of dust. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Jeffrey's sister, Laura, and her daughter, Olivia, are here, too. Laura was born after Jeffrey disappeared. In a way, she was born because of him. A reverend once told the family, the best way to move on after losing a child is to have another one. That's how Laura came to be. These pictures of my other brothers... Um, but there's nothing in here, Jeffrey. Oh, she's right, it's really dusty. Despite Laura never meeting her brother, she feels she knows him. The family didn't shy away from talking about him. They kept his memory alive. They mark his birthday by remarking on how old he'd be. If it's Christmas time, they talk about what gifts he might have liked. Would he have been good at school? Would he have played rugby? I was born into a family of um, sad people, you know, a sad, sad time. He was always talked about. He, we always had his picture up. He was never a secret. You know, Mum and Dad always sort of, wouldn't say included him in family life, but he was never a secret. He was always talked about. His, his name was always mentioned. Uh, he was just always there. Joe's memory of Jeffrey is still clear in her mind, she says. That day, the day he disappeared, is very clear too. It was a Saturday morning. It had been raining for about three weeks straight. But on that day, it was sunny, the first prime day of spring. Jeffrey would often play with a neighbor's little girl, a toddler named Karen Stubbs. On this day, it would be no different. She was out at the gate, I saw her out there, and Geoffrey climbed up on the stool and he seen her, he said, Karen out there. So I said, OK, put your gumboots on and you can go out and play with her. So he put his gumboots on and went out the door and I said, now go, go away, love, and he said, I won't go away, Mummy. <laughs> That's the last thing he ever said to me. It was about half past nine in the morning. Geoffrey went across the road to Karen's house the children began playing on the lawn with a ball. Joe was washing jerseys in the tub, keeping an eye out the window for Jeffrey and his two brothers, who were also outside. She saw Jeffrey tip a bucket over his head. He was in the sand pit. Joe says she then had a feeling. 
A voice told her something was going to happen to Jeffrey. Someone was going to take him. She doesn't know what it was, but that feeling was there. Next thing I heard Robert scream, my oldest son, he was then six at the time. I heard him scream and I knew he'd been riding his little bike after he came back from bird nesting. And I heard him scream and I thought, oh my God, he's put his foot through the spokes. And it was the neighbour, the mother of the little girl coming over to tell me that Jeffrey had gone in the creek. Joe ran out the house door. It was about half past 10. There's a large pipe crossing the creek from one bank to another. It's still there today. Joe thought maybe Jeffrey had tried to cross it. When she got to the water, neighbors were already gathering nearby. She remembers running into the little girl's father, Tom Stubbs. She says he told her to stop her panicking. Jeffrey wasn't in the creek. Joe was confused. And I just said, um, where did, where did he supposed to have fallen in? And where they were standing, they said, here. And I went, well, that's no good. So I went down further down the creek. The creek was swollen, muddy, and full of rubbish. It was used as a dumping ground. No one could see Jeffrey. So I went to jump in into the creek and I jumped on the car body. Went straight through it. A whole rusty car body of a small car. Then I got out of the car body, feeling around, because it was all muddy, feeling around, and then I went to step over and I fell onto a, a headboard from a bed. All through that creek was washing machines and rubbish, you name it, it was there. So anyway, next thing I know, somebody's pulling me out of the water. Joe says she screamed at them to allow her to keep looking for her son. She was taken home. And they wouldn't let me go back. I don't know who it was, some neighbor or somebody took me home and sat me down and gave me a cup of tea, which I didn't want. And I said, I've got to go back. And they said, no, they locked the door, wouldn't let me out. The last person to see Jeffrey alive, the only witness to see what happened to him, was Karen Stubbs. She was only two years and nine months old. She said Jeffrey was in the water. About 400 people, family, neighbors, nearby workers, searched for Jeffrey. A police officer arrived about half past 11, an hour later. Jeffrey's father, who was an auto electrician, had already arrived from work to join the search. A red plastic spade belonging to Jeffrey was found nearby. About 450 meters down the stream, there was a concrete weir made by a local farmer several years before. It was dammed with rubble and pieces of wood. Only a few inches of water could flow through. If Jeffrey was in the water, he wouldn't be able to get beyond that point. That was the thinking. But people helping with the search decided to do something. Without the knowledge of the police, they removed the rubble to allow the water to drop considerably. It began to flow through the weir. Residents stood by, keeping an eye, checking if they could see Jeffrey pass through. They couldn't. 
About four o'clock that afternoon, Senior Sergeant Ronald Moncur arrived. Mr. Moncur, now 84 years old, lives in Auckland. His memory of that day is a bit limited. I was in the station and I remember this report coming in. Someone telephoned to say that uh, Jeffrey had been washed downstream in this flash flooding that we had at that stage. So we went and had a look at the situation and we had uh, members um, uh, scouring the banks. Four men walk side by side from the point Jeffrey was believed to have fallen in, in the weir. A great deal of rubble had been pulled out of the water. From the weir, the water goes for another one and a half kilometers until it reaches another vast collection of rubbish and logs, again blocking the flow. If Jeffrey was in the water, he wouldn't have been able to pass this point. We had staff uh, looking at, you know, downstream quite a long way, uh, and uh, there's no, no sign of the poor little fellow. Residents also looked under bridges and houses, dips and tomos, a natural underground hole quite common in the South Waikato area. They searched the town. The next day, divers went into the creek searching in the deepest holes. Men tramped up and down the water without success. Chains and grapples and rakes were used. On Sunday, the police decided to build a dam south of Manatai Road about one and a half kilometers from where Jeffrey was believed to have gone in. The water level in the creek dropped considerably. Throughout that day until about seven o'clock that night, more than a hundred men combed the creek from the nearby Baird Road weir, where logs and rubbish I referred to earlier were pulled up, to south of where Jeffrey is thought to have fallen into the water. On Monday, a second dam was built and suction pumps were used. On Tuesday, three days after Jeffrey was last seen, the police dogs were brought in. Mr. Moncur has an explanation for why it took that long. Well, the police dogs weren't called because they couldn't do anything in that uh, situation. They were so wet that they couldn't have picked up anything. Another dam was made on Wednesday, 50 men searched the area using forks and rakes. Dead pigs and sheep were found. Again, no trace of Jeffrey. It was quite a populated area, you see, and uh, you would have thought that anyone from that point of view, he would have surfaced somewhere along the line, you know. I don't know what else I could do, and I still don't know what I would do if it happened again, you know. Uh, is that we, we did our very best to find him. Mr. Moncur would later tell the coroner there was no trace nor any evidence that would conclusively show Jeffrey had fallen in the water. Joe isn't particularly happy with how police handled the investigation. They should have been there right away, she says. It took about an hour for the first officer to arrive. They didn't look at other possibilities, other avenues. What if he hadn't fallen in the water? She says she remained in the house for several days as the search for Jeffrey continued. But she did manage to sneak out one day and made her way to the creek. 
she came across three women in a tent. And I heard one of them say, oh, that's the mother, that's the mother. So they called me over, they said, come over here, dear. So I went over and sat with them and one of them, she said, we're staying here, she said, for four nights, four days and four nights. She said, if he doesn't come up, he's not in there. She said, we're not going down to the water. If the water's got him, it will give it back to you. But of course, nothing happened. But those three ladies, I believe, stayed there the whole four nights and days. Those four days passed, and still, Jeffrey was missing. Neighbors, family, they looked for him for weeks. In March 1969, a coroner declared Jeffrey Raymond Hill dead. The cause of death, drowning. But that wouldn't be the last word. In years to come, other theories would come to light. So what do we know about Jeffrey's last whereabouts? We know Jeffrey left his family home about half past nine in the morning to play with a neighbor, Karen. He then made his way to the sandpit at her house. We also know he ended up playing near the creek. But let's stop here for a moment. Some of you are probably asking yourselves, why was a two-year-old left outside to play by himself? Let's remember it was the 1960s. Children were freer then. And Joe says she was keeping an eye on him from the window. One of the last people to see him alive was Kenneth Gull. He was 12 years old at the time. I gave him a ring. Perfectly honest, I don't remember a hell of a lot at all other than Henry and myself were going uh, crawly fishing and we've seen this young fella down by a, a, a pipe bridge that we walked across and that's all that I really remember. According to a statement to police, Kenneth and another boy, Henry, saw Jeffrey and Karen near the creek about half past ten. Joe says it was shortly after that time that she heard screams. Jeffrey was missing. I have no idea what happened. I don't know. No idea. All I know is I put him outside to play with Karen. He was sitting in the sandbox when I last seen him, and then his, her mother was at the door saying he went in the creek, so that's all I know. But you don't think he's in the creek? I don't know. I don't want to think the other way. Did Jeffrey really fall in the creek that day? And if so, why wasn't he ever found? The coroner's ruling, the police investigation at the time, that wasn't enough for the family. It still isn't. They contacted a private investigator, Scott Bainbridge. Scott has written books about missing persons before. He turned on an interview for this podcast, but told me after spending time looking into the case, he too has no idea what happened to Jeffrey. During his investigation, the family got sketches done of what Jeffrey would look like today. The family kept a copy of it. There are five drawings, varying from age 10 to about his late 40s. You can see them on our website. Well, I can't see Robert and Trevor in there. No, I can't see my other brothers in him at all. No. Um, and to me, he doesn't look like anybody in our family. He could have taken the pictures ran in the local newspaper. 
and the coverage of Scott's investigation raised new questions, new leads. Someone made contact. Someone claimed to know a man who looked similar to the sketches. And an old neighbor also came forward, saying he saw someone bearing something not long after Jeffrey went missing. It was wrapped in newspaper that looked like it could be the size of a boy. The person the old neighbor was referring to is Tom Stubbs. Remember him? He's Karen's father, the little girl Jeffrey was playing with. Remember Joe says he told her Jeffrey wasn't in the creek on the day he disappeared? That has stayed with her. Mr. Stubbs has since died, but this is the other way Joe doesn't want to think about. Joe has always suspected he was involved somehow, he would be aggressive towards the local children, she says. Those new tips, Scott Bainbridge's work, led to police reinvestigating the case in 2011. For maybe the first time, the police looked into other possibilities of what might have happened to Jeffrey. They looked beyond the creek. I'm a detective senior sergeant attached to the National Criminal Investigations Group at Police National Headquarters. This is Detective Senior Sergeant Kevin Verry. He says there were three theories that led police to review the case. Kevin began by searching for Jeffrey's original file. He couldn't find it. It appears to have been misplaced sometime after the 1970s, he says. The missing persons unit put a new basic file together so police could have an electronic record. So some of the information that was being alluded to was about the suspicious behaviour of a, a person in the neighbourhood. He's talking about Tom Stubbs. That was one area of um, information provided to us, how several persons have observed him on the day Jeffrey went missing, behaving a little bit suspiciously, seemed burying a package in a yard. Another uh, line of information was about a possible person who matched a photo fit picture prepared by the private investigator that was put in the local newspaper who had a, to some people, an unexplained background. And several other theories were alluded to regarding a a blue or a yellow car that was seen in the uh, Ferguson Street, Gloucester Street area at the time Jeffrey went missing and was never able to be accounted for. Okay, so Kevin mentioned three things. Let's go through them, beginning with a tip about Tom Stubbs. After Jeffrey disappeared, rumors started to circulate in the neighborhood about him. And as mentioned, years later, an old neighbor said he saw him burying something in his backyard. With the help of Fairfax Media, a private-run search using ground-penetrating radar was used at the Stubbs' old family home. Kevin went along. The geophysicist found two anomalies in the backyard of a property that was of interest based on this witness information. And out of those two, we dug a very small um, area of the yard based on that information to what we called some voids or, or hollows in the ground. In March 2012, they began to dig the Stubbs' old backyard. They found nothing. The anomaly, it was a tomo. There was also no sign of any foreign objects, clothing, or body. Tom Stubbs' family talked to media at the time. 
His wife, Colleen, told the Waikato Times there was no proof that her husband did anything wrong. He wasn't a bad man. And he had been fixing the baby's bassinet when Jeffrey went missing. Okay, so what about the man who looked like the sketches commissioned by the family? Joe and Laura say maybe someone took Jeffrey. Maybe someone raised him as their own. And he's out there, somewhere, without any knowledge of where he came from. So we identified that person and went and spoke with, with him and also obtained uh, his birth records and um, through those records and some statements that just proven that he was not Geoffrey Hill. And of note, Geoffrey had a um, birthmark or a mole between his chin and his lower lip which was quite distinctive, and it was clear that this person uh, lacked that. What about the strange cars spotted in the neighbourhood during this time? Kevin says the police weren't able to follow up on that. It was so long ago. I asked him what he thought about the initial investigation. A very thorough search was done of the stream and the surrounding area. Um, For 1968, there was a large community input and a lot of resources in it. It was a very good search. Jeffrey's body wasn't found, which to a lot of people is surprising. Uh, the level of searching done, you would have thought that increased the chance of the body being found. And the fact that there was no closure over time does rest with people. And ex-senior sergeant Moncur uh, expressed that he, he found it odd the body wasn't found. But at that stage, there's no other avenues of inquiry that were open to the police based on the information at the time. I wasn't there. We, we don't know all the facts missing the file. Uh, I, what I can tell you is I've, I've experienced uh, in managing searches from my time on a search and rescue squad, and when a child goes missing, there is a lot of emotion and a lot of urgency and assistance by people. And in this case, we do know that lots of the community all came and helped out, and at the time, obviously, there was not lots of policemen around, so... The, the focus was on the information that he'd fallen into the to the creek and um, I think that was the, was the only focus at that time. Kevin Very looked at other possibilities of what might have happened to Jeffrey, but he says the most likely scenario is that he did fall in the creek. The fact Jeffrey's body has not been found has always been a point that maybe alludes to other scenarios or theories being proffered or alluded to. Uh, there was a number of actions by members of the public that possibly could account for Jeffrey's body not being found. The weir that was dammed was opened whilst people were standing there watching the, the water or the, any debris flow through. Um, no one was there all night. It wasn't re-blocked that, that night. Um, bodies in water um, is a science of its own. There's nothing to say that Jeffrey wasn't caught up in the rubbish, the weeds, the willow, a collapsing dirt bank, a number of um, events that could have occurred that may have made his disappearance or his absence of his body um, be unobserved by all the people searching. When I visited Joe and Laura, I was greeted with heavy rain. We had planned to visit the Matarawa Creek, but in this weather, it didn't look like we would. When the rain stopped, though, we took the opportunity and drove down there. The downpour came back as soon as we went outside. I'm 
Back in the dry car, Dote describes what the neighborhood used to look like on what is now Ferguson Street. Yeah, that's the house over there where Jeffrey had been playing. Where the garage is is where the um, sandbox was. The house that belonged to the Stubbs family is at the corner of Ferguson and Edward Streets. It's painted white, surrounded by a brown stained fence, and a metal garage sits in the backyard. If he was at that house just across the street here, yeah. how would he have gone to the creek? So he would have had to cross the street here? He would just uh, walk out of here because there was no fence up there at that time. And the mm. kids would have just walked straight out and down here. Finally, the rain stops. And we make our way to the creek. The water is murky and flowing rapidly. How is the water then compared to what it is now? Probably uh, not as far as flowing, but it had been raining and it was flooded, but not like that. Because it's all, it's changed, the creek's changed with the time. Trees weren't that big, of course, then. Yeah. It was particularly hard for Joe being here. It's been a few years since she's been back despite living nearby. She says she doesn't know what happened to Jeffrey, but as she stands on the bank, she struggles to believe he's in there. There's no way in the world he would have got through that rubbish. If you had seen it, you wouldn't know what I mean. You can imagine falling all these trees and putting them in, into one big lot here. There's no way in the world anything could get through them. There's no way in the world he could have got through that rubbish. That's why I wonder whether he's been picked up, he's been taken. It's been 49 years since Jeffrey went missing. But looking at Joe, pointing to where it's believed Jeffrey fell in, showing me where she jumped in, her memory of the day is as if it was just yesterday. The family want to share their story. They want to talk about Jeffrey. I asked Mum, I said, how did you do it, Mum? And Dad, and she said, we had to. We had you and the other boys, we had to look after you. So we just had to. We couldn't give up, we just had to carry on. And I think it's good to talk about him. It keeps, his, keeps his memory alive. So it's all we've got. And maybe they'll get answers one day. Maybe one day he'll be found. I just hope someday in the future, you know, this place maybe gets used for something or someone comes along and finds bones or something, you know. And I've always told Olivia, you know, even if I'm not here, that she's aware if she yeah. ever hears of anything found in this area, she'll know it's her uncle. And um, to lay him to rest. She'll carry the torch in some way in terms of looking after. She will. Looking after him. She will. Yep. This podcast has been created and hosted by me, Paloma Migoni. Technical production by Phil Benj. The executive producer is Tim Walken. Also, a thank you to Tom Furley, who helped gather some of the audio. You can see video and photos by Rebecca Parsons-King at rnz.co.nz. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Lost on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, please don't forget to rate and review us so others can find this series. Thank you for listening. 
If you're interested in other podcasts from RNZ, try Pants on Fire, the Fibber's Guide to Lies, Lying and Liars. And next week, we look into the case of Francesca Martin, who disappeared in 2005. Her father, Bob Martin, has done about 100 trips from Hamilton to Wairaki to find her. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.